1: StoryCorps is best known for its touring mobile booth. In fact, its Airstream took up residence in the public media commons right outside our station in Grand Centre just this fall. Almost 250 people recorded conversations with loved ones in that booth. And my two colleagues, Jonathan All, STLPR Interim Managing Editor, and Maya Norfleet, producer for St. Louis on the Air, had the enormous privilege and task of selecting a handful of all those conversations for three-minute stories. Here to talk about what that experience was like and to share two of the stories they played at a public listening session in October, we have Maya Norfleet. What's up? And Jonathan All. Hi, (laughs) Elaine. So good to have you both here. Thank you. So, Jonathan, let's uh, start with StoryCorps. It came to St. Louis about a decade ago. Mm -hmm. What did it mean to have it back in St. Louis and for its longest stint of its 2023
0: tour? Well, I I think that that what it did was give a lot of opportunity to a lot of people to have a lot of great conversations with people they love. Mm -hmm. And and to have that uh, opportunity here in St. Louis for as long as it was, I think is a testament both to um, the engagement in, of the audience here, and how the public radio audience is so connected and uh, and and loves what StoryCorps stands for, and that we had such a long time to get so many people involved, was really a great opportunity for the station for the community for the people for the stories to to really have that great life.
1: Mm-hmm. And how again was it that it worked? Like how did people get into the booth?
0: Well, they just signed up. You know, there's no audition process, there's no selection process. It's literally you know, when can you and your friend or loved one make it, sign up for a spot, and you show up? And the, the, the people who run StoryCorps are so great. They've done this so much that they really are, are, are very good at making people feel at ease, and they can sit down in the booth, and they can have those conversations, and such magical moments come out of
1: that. Mm-hmm. Now, StoryCorps stories air every Friday morning on Morning Edition, and they have a reputation For making people, uh, listeners, both cry and laugh. (laughs) Maya, how is it that you got through these stories without bawling your eyes out?
2: (laughs) So I absolutely did end up bawling my eyes out for some of them. Um, I sit right in the middle of the newsroom, and right next to me is our photojournalist, Tristan Rouse. And he would look over at me like, what are you working on? I'm like, I'm just trying to edit this story. (laughs) I'm trying to make it through. (laughs) And Jonathan, did you have the same experience?
0: Oh gosh, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm one of those people that feels deeply. And mm-hmm. and the thing about StoryCorps that I've always, you know, you go into the office on Friday after listening on your way in, and you just kind of mumbling under your breath, "Stupid StoryCorps, making me <laughs> cry." <laughs> Um, it's, it, it, admittedly it's a short trip for me but but yeah it was they're very emotional and, yeah. and it, they're so raw and they're so people expose themselves and you can't help but have an emotional reaction to mm. that
1: there were 124 appointments total for these interviews that took place here in St. Louis Maya what sorts of relationships did people who participated have with each other was it mostly family members, like life partners? I would say
2: it was a pretty even balance between um, family members. I remember a lot of moms and daughters talking. Um, There were a number of conversations that were colleagues speaking with one another, um, friends that met in very interesting circumstances, remembering how they met and what their friendship has been since then. Uh, so it was a real good, even mix of family, friends, colleagues, just relationships mm-hmm. of all kinds.
1: Jonathan, you were reviewing a great deal of content oh, for yeah. for that listening <laughs> session that took place in October. Was there anything that you were listening for as you were making your selections for that?
0: I, I think that that I, I, I try to be a stand-in for the audience, mm-hmm. and I try to just put myself in the place of uh, a listener who would hear this. And I was listening for those moments that hit me in the feels, you know, and really got that re- that reaction from me. And hopefully, if I did a good job with it, it was that I was able to take those moments and say, okay, this is something really special. Now, how do we take all of this audio that is around it Mm -hmm. and how do we make it so that that there's enough context and there's enough background and and everything that people need so that when those moments come, it has that same opportunity to have that effect on people?
1: Mm -hmm. So this listening session which took place in the UMSL at Grand Center Community Room in mid-October. It was a weeknight. It was very well attended. We had to pull out extra chairs yeah, for we did. it. It was fun. And it was a really great sort of um, atmosphere of people who were all there to experience something together. Um, there were four stories presented at the session. So we get the, the treat of getting to hear two of them this hour. So Jonathan... I'd like you to tell us about the clip that you've selected for for sharing.
0: Sure. Uh, Gerald Kleba and Lauren Bennett are both uh, pastors in very, very different Christian denominations. Um, But they met because Gerald was interested in ministering to someone uh, who was uh, on death row waiting to be executed. And he was advised, okay, this is heavy. Before you do this, you really need to talk to somebody who's done this before. And that's how he met Lauren. They didn't know each other before this because Lauren had ministered to um, uh, someone who had been on death row. And, um, and, and so they, they met through that. And the friendship and the closeness that they got through that meeting was amazing. And then they went into the StoryCorps booth. And they they talked about a lot of things, but what I chose to focus on was some of the shared experiences that they had through ministering to someone who was facing
1: execution. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to that bit of conversation between Gerald and Lauren.
3: Amber was a transgender woman who was on death row, and um, the ways that she wanted to find wholeness was about knowing that God loved her as a trans woman and... Um, there's so many barricades put around ourselves, other people, when we think of gender and sexuality and putting up these barricades about who God loves and who God doesn't. And um, I just think all of that is such garbage <laughs> that if we really care about the spirit of God that's alive in everything, alive in every person, alive in every bush and every tree, then we would work together to make sure that everyone could thrive.
4: Did you have an especially memorable moment with Amber? If, if you had, to, there's a lot of dismal about prison, but I don't, I don't really want to go there. Uh, I, I think there was lots of ho- holy moments for me in prison with Johnny. Is something, Amber, that you could share with us?
3: Christmas Eve, I got to visit Amber on Christmas Eve, and oh, wow. but actually, it was later on that night. She called me between services. We had a like seven o'clock service at the church, and then we had another one at eleven. So I went home in between to make some butternut squash soup. <laughs> I listened, or I put my headphones in, and we listened to each other. And uh, I made soup, and she loved to cook, and she liked to talk about food a lot, and so. Uh, she asked me wh- how I was cooking it and uh, asked me for each step as I was doing it. And it felt so much like she was in the room with me cooking this soup. And I think there's something holy about soup, too. All these things that shouldn't go together but taste really good together when you warm them up. And... Um, So eating that soup, and we talked about some scripture passages, and we talked a little bit about heaven that night, which isn't at all what I expected, Um, but it was such a moment of wholeness, and uh, she was eating uh, some pizza that she had warmed up, so it felt so holy to just share in communion of a sort uh, over the phone together in the way that we could. How about for you?
4: the night that he was being murdered by the state and I got taken into the death chamber and, and he was already in the bed and covered up with a kind of a white comforter thing all the way up to his neck. and, and but, I, but I walked in and I said, Johnny, Simon and Sirene's here and we're going to the top of the mountain together here. And he raised up his head and his big blue eyes. And my big blue eyes caught each other and smiled at each other, and then he put his head down again, and he never never raised his head up again. It was this huge transformation, pretty subconscious in the beginning, but then I understood it, which was to say one of the last criteria in Matthew's gospel for how do you enter the kingdom of heaven I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was sick, I was in, I was in prison, and you mm-hmm. came to visit me. Mm-hmm. So I went there a dozen times and visited him, and, and, and I was Simon of Cyrene, and he was Jesus. But I think it helped me to understand God's total redemptive love, and that all of us are going to be brought back home, that God doesn't have any throwaway kids.
1: That was Gerald Kleba and Lauren Bennett, <clears throat> two pastors for very different congregations.
0: That, that was it was a very emotional thing to uh, to to listen to that and to edit that audio, and I think that that there were uh, you know th- there were a few different reasons why it really spoke to me. Um, one of them, I guess, maybe was uh, you know. I think we don't do a great job talking about faith. Hmm. I think that we talk a lot about, as a society, as a public radio station, I think we talk a lot about religion Mm
2: -hmm.
0: with its pros and its cons, and I don't know that we do a great job of talking about faith. And this really struck me as something that this is two people talking about their faith, and you know, I think that that I've I've certainly had on you know crisis of faith, <laughs> and and you know so it was something that really appealed to me personally, and hopefully it appealed to other people. The other thing that that has been really important to me in my life, especially lately, is the idea of giving people grace, hmm. and um, it's something that I've had uh, discussions with people who are very close to me about is you know giving people grace, and I in Lauren and Gerald I heard so much grace being given to each other and given to Amber and Johnny in their ministry. And what what I hoped for was that that conversation would bring feelings and thoughts that would elevate well beyond any one thought or any one situation or any one religion or political idea, but rather talk about this really innate human quality I think we desire to give each other grace, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we're afraid to do it. So hopefully, in putting this conversation out there, we're inspiring other people to give themselves grace and to give other people's grace. And hopefully, you know, in this big Thanksgiving listen thing that we're talking about, hopefully people can maybe a relative that you don't see eye to eye with, Mm -hmm. someone who's from a completely different background, and Mm -hmm. you can give them grace. And you can have a conversation like this that can make everybody better. Yeah.
1: And I just want to say, again, clearly, that was uh, Gerald (laughs) Kleba and Lauren Bennett, um, these two pastors from very different congregations that shared experiences in ministry to people in Missouri's death row. And I was at the listening event. I mean, my sleeves were completely (laughs) wet um, Mm -hmm. after I heard this, and it still had the same effect, even though it was kind of Prepared for it, and it really—I um, think it underscores um, not not sadness, but the uh, the poignancy of understanding. Yeah, it really took that
0: empathy and love, and I, I, look, I I edited that. I'm, I've heard it dozens and dozens of times, and I'm it's it's hitting me again too.
1: Right, and Maya. You also chose uh, something to share with everyone today. Tell us about the clip that you have.
2: Yes. So we're about to hear a part of a conversation between a mother and a daughter, Juliette Simone and Rebecca Massey, and how they started their own families. And in that conversation, Juliette, who's the daughter, shares her journey of trying to get pregnant and going the sperm donor route. And while trying with a second set of what they call biomaterial, she happens to meet a man who would end up being the father of her children and her husband. And that sounds pretty cut and dry, (laughs) right? But uh, it's until Juliet gets a call from a doctor about her newborn son. And that call leads to her mother, Rebecca, sharing a family secret. Every newborn goes through a um, genetic screening
5: and so we got a call a few weeks after he was born that he turned up positive for this genetic disorder, and it it was it's X chromosome linked. So, you know, as a little boy, he obviously had an X. He has an XY, and so the X that he got with the genetic disorder came from me. And here comes an uh oh moment <laughs> for me. <laughs> What went through your mind when you knew that you had to had to get this test? Well, I can remember walking up and down the geneticist hall in, hallway, just in a state of panic, not knowing what to do. I was really, really in a conundrum, and um, was terrified. So, to back up the story again, we're going to go to the beginning. I uh, married a a Scotsman in the 70s, and I was 24 years old, and he was quite a bit older, 11 years. And he told me that he'd had a vasectomy. And being 24, not wanting kids, I, I didn't care. That was fine with me. That was perfect. About 28, all of a sudden, it just hit me in the head like a hammer that I had to have a baby. And that's all there was to it. We talked adoption and we talked fostering and we we just we went through everything trying to figure out what was the best route. So all of a sudden it was just like a sperm donor. Why don't we do a sperm donor? Okay. So we called up Barnes Hospital, St. Louis and signed up for the um, sperm donor clinic. So that's what we did. And within, I think, two months, I was pregnant with Juliet. We loved on this baby, and he did too, knowing all the time that it wasn't his. And we talked about what we were, what were we going to do. We didn't know what to do about telling the baby. And I decided that I didn't want the children to look at him any differently than they would have a natural father. Okay, so we move along, and then two years later, I'm like, I gotta have another baby. I gotta have another baby. I thought I was gonna die if I didn't. And he just looked at me, and the only words we spoke were, "He says, well, I think you'll have to go back to the clinic." And I said, "Okay." So we did that, and in six months, we had a little boy. So, um, and we just moved through life, and and um, you know, it was just absolutely fantastic with these two kids. They were both blonde and blue eyed, and Nobody ever knew the difference. So, and who did you, who did you tell? Who, did, who didn't you tell about this? I told two of my girlfriends, yeah. but it, I didn't tell them right away. It was years and years and years down the road, probably 15, 10 to 15 years before I told anybody. And um, then I felt guilty about telling because would they tell? I didn't think so. But that was it. Those are the only people that knew, except for him. It's wild. And I I was like, Mom, how could you have watched me go through this process and kept this huge secret? I I was extremely supportive. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best thing I can
1: say. That was Rebecca Massey and Juliette Simone, a mother and daughter, who recorded a conversation that included the revelation of a family secret.
2: So Maya, <laughs> why did you pick this one? Well, I mentioned uh, me crying and gasping for air in the middle of the newsroom and my uh, neighbor next to me at my desk was like, what are you doing? So I took that as a sign, like, well, I got to include this one because it has me shook. So I know just three minutes of this, it's like a 40-minute conversation we edit down to three, three and a half minutes. Um, So I just knew, like, if it has me shook and I listen to audio and people's stories all the time, then it'll be good for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And there's some
1: updates, aren't there?
2: Yes. So at the listening session, um, Juliet and her mom, Rebecca, were there. And so was Alex, uh, Juliet's brother, Rebecca's son. And they were, they both started looking into who their biological fathers were after learning about this big secret. And um, Juliet, she's still waiting to hear back from her bio dad. Alex, her brother, found out who his bio dad was, but he had already passed away at that time. But at the listening session, Rebecca, their mom, showed me a picture of Alex and his bio dad right next to each other. Twins. They look just <laughs> alike. It's honestly kind of freaky. And um, actually, the day after the listening session, they shared with me that he was on his way to California to meet um, one of his half siblings through that was raised by their bio dad. And what they call a dibbling, which is a sibling through donorship.
1: <laughs> That's definitely a story I think we're going to try to follow up on. Maya and Jonathan, thank you so much for talking about the, the process of putting together some stories that we'll be listening to. My absolute yeah, pleasure. No Thanks.
3: This episode was produced by Maya
2: Norfleet. Our audio engineer is Aaron Doerr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron.
0: Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group.